excited to join us today. My name is Scott. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, in the, month, in the uh, year of 2016, we're working our way through the Gospel of Matthew together. And what we're attempting to do is uh, learn how to follow Jesus together. I'm on the journey with you as one of the pastors here. And uh, we're, we're believing and understanding that all of the power of God is available to you to be able to do everything that Jesus said. Jesus confronted bad religion. Jesus confronted injustice. Jesus was able to forgive his enemies. Jesus uh, can enable you to overcome anger. Jesus can enable you to overcome lust. All of the power of God is available to you to do everything that Jesus said. Now, in addition to all of those things, for the last several weeks, we've been looking at Matthew 8, 9, and 10, where Jesus also heals people and drives out demons. Now, that's a little off-putting to us as American people. We're like, I don't know if that exists. I don't know if that happens. But again, we believe that all of the power of God is available to you to do everything that Jesus said. And so we've been, we've been unpacking that for the last several weeks. And we're going to talk more about demons today and evil and all of that. Um, now, it, I, this has been a journey for me. About eight years ago or so, I was introduced to uh, a church in the northern part of England, a steel town in the northern part of England called St. Thomas Church. And um, through meeting the pastor there, his name was Mike Breen, uh, this whole uh, reality that there's, a, there's a, a supernatural world, there's, I can be a part of the healing ministry of Jesus, and uh, this was new for me as a Christian and as, even as a pastor, and I thought, okay, wh- wh- what, do you, what do you mean by all this? And so this has been this eight-year-long journey of learning uh, from this, this church and what they've been doing and how they've been accessing the power of God. And uh, so I've, I've met those, those, those people. This is actually one of the churches that's considered by many people one of the most influential churches in the world, has an influence literally around the world. Well, uh, every week as I prepare, I, I find, uh, and I don't always tell you this, I find just what I need. It's just this odd uh, occurrence for me. I find exactly what I need. We're getting ready to talk about this and this passage of scripture. I'll find some story or some article, and it just will appear. I don't know how else to describe it to you. And what I, what I attribute that to is the power of God's spirit making available to me and to you everything that is needed for us to hear the word of God together. Now, I believe that same power of God is available to you doing whatever it is you're doing. Uh, but as I was thinking about this specific week, Sunday, September 18th, came into my mind, I need to call my friend Paul. Paul McConaughey is the p- pastor after Mike Breen of that church in St. Thomas, uh, St. Thomas Church in Sheffield, England. And I need to see if he's available. And I thought, I'm not going to bother him. Paul has moved his family to the United States. They actually live in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And they're working to, uh, to help people, help churches, move into everything that God said that we could do and follow Jesus. And I thought, hey, Paul speaks all over the place. He's probably busy. But I thought, okay, I got it. It's just this incredibly strong impression. So I called him. He says, well, that's great. I'd love to be with you. I had a cancellation that day. I'd love to be here. So uh, from one northern steel town in England to another northern steel town, Paul McConaughey is here with us today, and you're going to love what he has to say, and, and so I want you to buckle your seatbelt, because this is going to be like, oh, I don't know about that. So I want you to welcome uh, Paul McConaughey right now. Great. Well, thank you for that uh, introduction, Scott. And then I'll do my best to uh, speak in a way that you can understand what I'm saying. Uh, In the church I'm based at um, in Fort Wayne, um, some of the folks, some of the older folks um, cut their uh, ears partway through the sermon to say, you're speaking too quick, I can't understand what you're saying, Paul. So uh, I should be, hopefully, hopefully I'll keep it clear enough for you. 
if I can avoid certain words, it will help. Like, if I avoid saying the word water, which, um, I mean, nobody ever understands, because it's wada, isn't it, here? <laughs> then, uh, then we'll be good. So, um, it's great to be with you. I've known Scott for quite a while now, and uh, been here uh, doing some training with leaders and things uh, a couple of times, and so I know some of you guys. Um, but um, I haven't spoken here on Sunday before, and I don't know, it feels like kind of a tough deal. It's like, would you like to come and speak at this awesome church? And uh, your topic is demons. It's like, wow, okay. <laughs> Let's just jump straight in at the deep end there then, shall we? So we're going to think about that stuff together. And, uh, but before we do that, let's just um, read scriptures. Let's stand and I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 10. So it says this, Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 to 8. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans, rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, Cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. This is the word of the Lord. Great. So, uh, we, you guys are on a journey, and we've become friends, um, uh, Scott and I, because we're on the same journey. And uh, my job with, I'm based at, the church, uh, at a church there in Fort Wayne, but I actually work with churches all over the U.S., and... Um, my job is really to help um, churches, particularly leadership teams of churches, um, go on a particular journey. And the journey is this, to, to learn how to move away from church just being kind of a show on a Sunday and some folks doing some good stuff, to a more intentional journey where people are saying, okay, what does it look like if we, if we try to really imitate the life of Jesus in our 21st century American context? And... Um, and so that's the journey that we're, that we're on, and um, we connect with a number of churches in this region that are on that same kind of journey. And one of the things that m many of us have in common is that we've come from a background, a church background, that has been very much just about um, coming on a Sunday and listening to the word being uh, preached. And um, my background, I come from a very conservative um, Baptist background in the UK. Uh, Baptist, uh, British Baptist Church is a little bit different from Baptist churches here in the States. But a lot of the similar kind of um, dynamics of, of conservative church. I, I remember um, we didn't get a TV in my house till I was 10 years old. Um, uh, I, my first real encounter with American culture was on my seventh birthday, when my parents finally, remember I had no TV at this point, my parents finally allowed me to go to the cinema for the first time to, to watch a movie, the movie theatre. And... Um, so I'd, I'd hardly ever seen TV. I'd never been to the movies. And um, it was 1977, and my first experience as a seven-year-old was to watch Star Wars. Can you imagine? <laughs> I sat on the... We were on the front seat of the theatre, and I, the, the first scene opened with the Imperial Cruiser coming over my head, and my mouth just fell open. And I thought I'd gone to heaven already. <laughs> but, um, so, yeah. So we had a conservative background. We, it was very much a 
church, church about the Word of God. And, um, and then in the 80s, um, an, an American pastor actually came to the church and started to talk about the supernatural power of God and to challenge us that um, if we are going to follow Jesus, we shouldn't expect to just see the natural, God's work, God working in the natural realm, but also supernatural stuff. And you can imagine that um, that caused quite a lot of division in the church at the time. And um, some folks left and people got upset about it. And, um, but the church had always said, well, we want to try to be Berean. Um, in, uh, Berea was a place in, uh, in the New Testament that Paul went to on his missionary journeys. And it said that the people of Berea were of noble character. Because when they heard new things they hadn't heard before, instead of just rejecting them out of hand, they eagerly studied the scriptures to see whether they were in there. And, um, and, and the church I was in, they, 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 they were a bit shocked by the stuff they were being taught and this idea that we could see supernatural healing today and that, you know, we can expect angels and demons to be kind of engaged with some of the things that we're doing and we can expect to hear the Lord speak to our hearts. You know, the still small voice of God can reveal things to us. Those sorts of things were a massive stretch for, for our church. Um, but we, we thought, well... What we need to do is not just reject it out of hand, but actually read the scriptures and see whether it's in there. And the problem that we had was that particularly if you start with the Gospels, which really should be the centerpiece of the whole Bible, shouldn't they, the story of Jesus, um, it's just all the way through. I mean, you take, I mean, frankly, you take food and miracles out of the Gospels, there's not an awful lot left. You know, I mean, it's just there all the way through, isn't it? And, um, and here in this passage that we've just read, you have Jesus doing exactly... That, that, that same thing, not just himself, but with his disciples. So this passage in, in Matthew chapter 10 is, is Jesus' evangelistic strategy. And you find it in the other Gospels too. And basically, it's pretty much the only strategy he gives, and it's this. Go and find some people who welcome you. Stay with them. Let them feed you. Stay at their house if you can. Share your life with them. Uh, tell them the good news. Um, and then he goes into this stuff that is really simple, but sounds almost impossible. You know, tell them the kingdom of heaven's come near. Oh, and then, you know, also, while you're there, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse people with leprosy, and drive out demons. I don't know about you, but that kind of is stretching, isn't it? Um, the problem is, and this is my problem coming from the background that I came from, the problem is it's Jesus saying it that's kind of difficult to get around, isn't it? And, and you could kind of say, well... Maybe this is just the stuff that Jesus was saying at that time. I mean, those, those are not ordinary people. They're the apostles. Kind of misses the point that the apostles were ordinary people. I mean, they were fishermen and, you know, tax collectors and everyday folk. But, you know, these are the apostles here. So maybe it's just something different. Um, but the problem is you get to passages like, for example, in John 14, where Jesus says, all of the things that I've done, you'll be doing, you and all who are far off who don't yet know about me. Well, that includes us. So it's kind of difficult to wriggle out of that one. And so we've been on a journey um, where we've been trying to learn how do you do that stuff in a way that is biblical, um, that is non-weird. I mean, frankly, if supernatural things happen, it's weird enough without the people having to be weird too. You know? And there's, it's, when I've come to America, it's, it's been interesting because that journey that our church are on in the UK has been a journey that evangelical churches have been on across the UK. So now, if you go to Britain, almost all of the evangelical churches would also believe in the, power, the supernatural power of God. And, but I think there's something about the British character and, and personality, which is very reserved, which kind of meant that we were able to engage with that without too much craziness happening. 
And, um, and it's interesting because I've come here to the States and I've come to the churches that I naturally would connect with, which are churches from similar traditions to my own. And I find that there's a lot of fear. Um, and people are, would say, well, that's supernatural stuff. We've seen churches do that and they just turn into crazy people. And I think part of what we're, the journey that we're on is we're saying, well, how do we do this in a way that is biblical, that's godly, that honors people, that doesn't unnecessarily embarrass people, that doesn't rely on, you know, some, some guy in a sequin suit at the front being the showman, but is actually something that everybody gets to do. How do we, how do, how do, we do this stuff in a way that is imitating Jesus? It's about imitating Jesus, isn't it? So that's the journey. And, of course, the world that we're operating in is a world where there is a spiritual war going on. That's the picture the Bible gives us. There are, there are not just human beings, but there are also spiritual beings, angels. And just like we have been given free choice, angels have been given free choice as well. And some angels have chosen to follow God, and some angels have chosen to go against God. And in the Bible, the, the angels that have fallen and gone against God are called demons. And, and there's, some, there's some suggestion in books like Revelation that about a third of the angels have fallen, which I always think is a good thing because it means there's twice as many angels as, demon, as, as there are demons around. So that's probably, probably a good thing. But, um, but we don't like to think about those things much because we like stuff that we can see, touch, you know, taste, control, stuff that we, can, that we can understand. And this stuff is kind of a bit beyond our understanding, isn't it? And so it's kind of slightly freaky. But, you know, the supernatural realm touches our own lives more than we think. Often one of the issues is that lots of Christians individually have encounters with God in a supernatural way, but everyone's a bit embarrassed to talk about it, and so you don't know it's going on. Let me give you an example. I'd like you to put your hand up if you think at some point in your life you may have had an encounter of some description with an angel. Just put your hand up. Now, just keep your hand up. Just look around. Is that crazy or what? Just look how many. And you know, I could do that confidently because I've done it at a few churches, and it's always the same. And I've even done it in churches that are cessationists, that don't believe that um, the gifts of the Spirit happen. And you've still got about a quarter of the people who've encountered angels. It's interesting, isn't it? And so there's this journey. And um, Scott knows a story that, that, um, that I have um, about a, an angel encounter in our church, and, and he thought it might be good to tell. So can I tell you an angel story before we go on? Would that be okay? This was a, a missions trip to Nigeria, and we had a, a bunch of, we had a couple of pastors and a whole load of young adults, all in a kind of minivan, big minivan thing. And um, they, they had to drive from one missionary compound to the next compound, a church compound. And, and they had to drive past this quite dangerous shanty town on the way. And they're driving. And as they drive, um, the, the car, get, the vehicle gets a puncture. And so they have to pull over by the side of the road to change the tire. And as they do, a bunch of guys come over from the shanty town carrying machetes and looking very threatening. And so they're thinking, gosh, this is not looking like a good situation. And the, the guy who was leading this group, this gang that came over, said, um, he said, I'm a policeman. He obviously wasn't a policeman. He was wearing kind of rags, obviously wasn't wealthy. He said, I'm a policeman. You're not allowed to stop here on this part of the road. You have to pay us a fine. And uh, at this point, they came before the pastors had got out of the car, so they were still sitting in the car. He tapped on the window, they, um, they round the window down, and he said this to them. And um, they all knew he wasn't a policeman, but they're really sweating, they're thinking, this is scary. I mean, the car's got a puncture, we can't drive off, this is looking nasty. We've got young kids, in, you know, young, young people in the back of the, of the van. And, um, and uh, one of the pastors just said, we've just got to give him 
just give them whatever money we've got, let's just give them the money. And they were just about to do that. And then the other pastor felt the Lord speak to their heart. You know, you sometimes have that conviction, that still small voice. And he remembered the scripture, says in Proverbs, the Lord hates a bribe. And he just said, we can't do it. He said, what do you mean we can't do it? He said, I, 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 the Lord's just told me not to do it. And so they said to this guy, we're not going to give you any money. We don't believe you're pleased and we're not going to give you any money. Well, you can imagine that ramped up, the aggression. And now the guy's banging on the window. He's got his machete. He's shouting at them. They're just praying. They're like, what do we do here? We don't know what to do. And then, they're all praying, obviously. An answer to a prayer, a police car pulls up, flashing lights, pulls over, comes over to the side of the road, and the guy comes out, gets out in a Nigerian police uniform. And uh, it was a bit of a surprise because the guy was Italian. He's an Italian policeman. I don't know if you've ever heard an Englishman trying to do an Italian accent, but it's not pretty, but I'll do my best. <laughs> so the, the policeman comes out and he goes, so, he goes, what's going on here then? Yeah? <laughs> that's all you get. I'm not doing any more, okay? That's the best I could do. And, um, and they explained what's going on, and he went over to the guy, and he said, you're not a policeman. And uh, he, he said, show me your ID, and he didn't have any ID. And it was really interesting, because what happened was, immediately, all of the aggression went out of the whole situation. The guys who'd come from the shantytown became very kind of meek and uh, submissive. They, in fact, they, were, they became helpful. The policeman helped them change the tire. And then while the guys were still there, the policeman said to them, you're going to be fine now. Um, it's all good. Got back in the car, drove off. Still leaving them there with, those, with that gang of guys. But now, they were completely friendly. They had a conversation with them. They actually asked them when they found out they were pastors to pray for them. And then they drove off. And they thought, thank you, Lord, that you helped us. Then they got to the compound, and they told them what had happened. And everybody started cheering and clapping. And they said, well, it's a great story, but why are you cheering and clapping? And they said, you've met our Italian angel. And they said, well, what do you mean? They said, every time someone from this compound gets into big trouble, this guy turns up. And we've checked. There isn't an Italian on, this, on the Nigerian police force in this area. They, the police don't even know who he is. He just turns up whenever any, any of us get into trouble. Isn't that cool? So that was our little angel story. It's fun. So... Now, I, I overran um, in the first service, so I've got to press on now, because um, I want you guys to be able to go and get your lunch. But um, <laughs> let's, just, let's just be aware that as we try to walk out our lives as Christians, we're not on a level playing field here. There is a spiritual war going on. There are spiritual agents, good and evil, in the invisible realm that we can't see. This is an absolutely orthodox, evangelical, biblical picture, and that they're both involved in our lives in some ways. And we, don't, we can't see them. We often don't know how they're involved. I think biblically we're not supposed to get too focused on them either. I'll just say that. There are pictures in the Bible of them. They're presented at different times, both angels and demons. But, um, but it doesn't feel like, as Christians, we're supposed to be spending too much time and energy thinking about them. So it's good to have a sermon every now and again that gives us a heads up, that helps us to know how to engage with that world. But then we probably just need to get our eyes fixed back on Jesus and focus on him. And, and just know that those things are going on in the background. That's the picture I think the Bible gives us. So um, we'll talk about it today, but I'm not suggesting that you should spend, you know, all your time thinking about these things. But, um, but in, this, in this, this kind of spiritual war we're in, it's there because God has allowed free will. He doesn't want us to be a load of puppets. He wants us to have free choice. Both us and angelic beings have free choice. And, uh, and so there are people and there are um, angels who've chosen to follow God and those who've chosen not to. And that's the world we live in, isn't it? And, um, and God's sovereignty shows itself in three main ways 
within that kind of warfare world. The first would be, until, until there's a new heaven and a new earth, and there's no opposition to God's sovereignty, in this season that we're in at the moment, there's, the first way is that, that we know that there's going to come a day called the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord is judgment day, but there's another picture in the Bible of the day of the Lord, and that's jubilee. And judgment day is about punishing wrongdoers, but jubilee is about giving back what's been taken away. And uh, that's, that's a really clear picture of the day of the Lord. And so there's going to come a day, one day, uh, Peter referred to Joel's prophecy about the day of the Lord in, in, in um, Pentecost, in, the, in Acts. And um, there's going to come a day, one day, it will be an actual day, it will have a date, everybody in this room will experience it. And that day will be the day where God says, now evil and sin is going to stop I'm going to destroy it all, and I'm going to make everything right. And everything that's been taken away will be given back. And that's kind of an amazing thought, isn't it? Because if you know Jesus, that doesn't mean that you don't sin. John said, if we say that we don't sin, we make God out to be liars. Yeah, we sin. We all know it too well, don't we? I mean, I'm glad you can't see all my sin, and I'm sure you're glad I can't see all yours. Yeah? We're broken people. And so we could be fearful about the day of the Lord, but we don't need to be fearful because if you know Jesus, he's formed a covenant with you where he's shared his identity with you so much that he's sent his spirit to live in your body. I mean, what is a person? A person is a body with a spirit living in it, yeah? Jesus has formed such a strong covenant with you if you've said yes to him that his spirit comes and lives in your body and that means that he shares his identity with you, yeah? It, it, I was always taught growing up at my Baptist church that um, the cross was all about God being just and loving and therefore the thing about it was that justice said that sin needs to be punished but because he's loving he punished his son instead. I never got it. I thought how is it justice if Jesus has done nothing wrong for God to punish Jesus instead? That's injustice. Surely justice is I should be punished not Jesus. And you know the reason I didn't understand it at that time was because I didn't understand how close the connection is that Jesus makes with us. Uh, Jesus isn't punished instead of us as another person. He's punished as someone who's sharing his identity with us so our sins actually become his sins and his righteousness become our, becomes our righteousness. And you know, if you're seeking God but you haven't yet made that decision, that's the transaction right there. That's what God wants from you. He wants you to say yes to him so that he can become one with you. You will experience a supernatural level of change in your life works in different ways in different people but you'll see it happen and and he shares his identity with you so he can take your sin it's an amazing thing so the great thing for us is even though we're sinful even though we're broken we don't have to fear the day of the lord we can look forward to it because it's going to be a day of restoration for you a day of restoration think about all the things that the enemy has taken away from you through your life and think about what a joyful day it will be when they're given back isn't that amazing isn't that amazing I mean, you can't get a picture, can you? You can't get a picture of what the new heaven, the new earth is going to be like. You can't do that. But what you can do is you can get little pictures of little components of it. Like, for example, you know, I'm an appetite guy. I struggle with my weight and my appetite all the time. It goes up and down, up and down. I mean, and then I go and move to America. Nightmare. Yeah? <laughs> I mean, basically, I just like burgers too much. That's my problem. Yeah? And... Um, I just thought, you know, just think what, what it would be like if there's just one little change was how, how nice food tasted was directly connected to how good it was for you. Wouldn't that be amazing? The better it tasted, the better it was for you. Can you imagine that's just one tiny little change? 
You can do that all day with lots of different little changes. Just imagine, sometimes it's good to think about what's coming. Just imagine what would happen if the pain that you experience in your life, the physical pain in your body, one day you just are never ever going to have physical pain in your body again. Your whole body will just work well. Won't that be amazing? And you can, yeah, I mean, you can just play, you can sometimes, maybe you can sit with your Bible study group one day and play that game. Everybody just come up with some stuff of imagine what it will be like. There's a day coming, that's part of God's sovereignty. But in the meantime, we're in a battle, and there are two main things he does. He, he endures the difficulty and the brokenness with us. He sits in there with us, and he, he comes alongside us and endures it, and he works in those difficult and broken situations and painful situations for our long-term good. So even though it is bad and it is real, there will come a time where we'll say, I'm glad it happened, because even though it sucked, even though it was terrible, I, I, I can see that you've brought a greater good for me out of it, God. That's one way that he works. And the other way that he works between now and the day of the Lord is, is incarnation. And that's this. He says, I want to work in this world to bring my will through you. Through you. So much does he say that, that we as the church are called his body, the body of Christ. We're his physical body here on earth. And you can, God will work through you incarnationally in a natural way and in a supernatural way. So natural way would be, you know, you see some people who have physical needs and you go and help them. You serve them like Jesus would serve. That's a natural way where you're bringing God's, um, God's um, kingdom to them, isn't it? You're, you're bringing God's will. Or you, um, you, you, um, you see that there's an injustice that needs to be righted and you, you petition and you get people together and you fight and you win and justice is established for somebody. That's a natural way. But the journey that I've been on for the last few years... Um, which I had to learn, and the journey that this church is on as well is learning that there are also supernatural ways, as well as natural ways, there are also supernatural ways that the Lord wants to work through us. So that Jesus can exercise his full ministry on earth through the church, not just one tiny little section of the ministry that you read in the Gospels. Yeah? He wants you to be able to work hard, learn the Bible, tell people about him, serve people, help people, you know, reach out to others. He wants you to do all that. He also wants you to be able to heal people who are sick. He wants you to be able to hear the voice of the Father speaking to you, the Holy Spirit speaking to you. He wants you to be able to take on the principalities and powers of this dark world, as Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians, and he wants you to win. And when you start moving into the supernatural, what I've noticed over the years, working with lots of churches that are on that journey, is that you, you begin to force Satan's hand and he begins to change his strategy somewhat. And so I want to give you a heads up today that that might begin to happen here in this church. As people begin to pray for healing, begin to listen, to try and hear the voice of the Lord. Um, you see, Satan has two main strategies, as far as I can tell. And you can decide whether you agree with me or not. This isn't directly a biblical thing. This is an observation. It seems to me that in environments where people don't really believe in the Jesus and don't believe in the gospel... Satan likes to have an overt strategy. You go to Hindu countries, for example, like India, and you'll find that demons reveal themselves to pagan priests all the time, especially under the influence of drugs. They'll reveal themselves, they'll tell them to do things, and so on, and the demons appear to people, and they want to be known as gods. Yeah? That's, what they, that's their preference. And, um, I mean, we had an experience of this as a church. Uh, we had a missions team to Nepal, and uh, they'd gone, it's a mainly Hindu country, and um, they were going around the villages in the foothills of the Himalayas, and they were sharing with people 
um, the gospel and seeing many people come to faith. It was a very exciting time. And then they got tired and they had a rest. And Paddy Mallon, the Baptist minister, who, as you can probably guess from the name, is from Ireland, he, he, did, he was tired and decided to have a bit of a rest. And uh, they, they'd stopped for lunch. He, he had a rest and he fell asleep. And after he'd fallen asleep, he had a very, very vivid dream. And it was quite a disturbing dream. And in this dream, a man appeared to him and the man was completely blue from head to foot. He was wearing a loincloth and he had big golden bangles in his ears. And this man said to Paddy in his dream, why are you here? And Paddy said, we're here because we've come to share the gospel with the people who live here. And the man said, you don't have the authority to share the gospel with these people. These people belong to me. And Paddy said, the authority that we have comes from the Lord Jesus Christ, and he has all authority in heaven and on earth. So we do have the authority. And the man said, do you not understand that I could hurt you or even kill you if you try to do this? And Paddy, I think quite bravely in his dream, said, you can try if you like, but we come under the protection of the Lord Jesus. And then he woke up. Well, that's not your everyday dream, is it? I mean, maybe they've been eating yak's cheese or something. I don't know, but it was, you know. So he shared it with everyone, and everyone was frankly pretty freaked. You know, it's like, wow, that's pretty scary. But they weren't nearly as freaked as they were five minutes later. Because they then went up the hill. They went round the corner on the path into the next village that they'd never visited before. And there in the middle of the village was a shrine with a statue on it to the local deity. And sitting there in the lotus position was this blue guy with golden bangles in his ears. Can you imagine? I mean, it was like, gosh, this is pretty scary. But what did they do? They just did the same thing they'd done every time. They shared the gospel. They prayed for people. People got healed. People believed the gospel and got saved. And many people in the village came to know Jesus. It was amazing. And then as they went back down the hill and they came towards the town again, the guides who were with them said, we've got to rush, we've got to hurry. There's a massive mountain storm blowing up behind us and if this hits us on the road, we're in big trouble. And so they were literally running down the path on the last bit of their journey to get to the town before the storm hit. Well, was that spiritual warfare? Was the storm because some demonic you know, presence was angry with them? Who knows? We'll find out when we get to heaven, but it felt like it. Yeah? And so that's an example of overt strategy of Satan. He, where he can, he'll... He'll try to be venerated as a god and he'll operate overtly. But in a Christianized culture like we have here, often my observation is he works covertly instead. I mean, you know, there's lots of Americans who don't know Jesus, but most Americans have been raised to believe that um, Jesus is important, that you can pray to him. You know, there's a, there's, a, there's a connection with Christianity very much in the heart of the nation. So, I don't know, the average American, if a demon suddenly materialized by the bottom of their bed one night, what would they do? Apart from scream and panic, my guess is a lot of them would probably start praying to Jesus. Probably, if it's the first time they've been praying to Jesus for several years, they probably would start again, wouldn't they? Yeah? So it doesn't really make sense for Satan in a Christianized culture to be too overt about what he does. Often what he does is covert. You know, tempting people to gossip and to pull others down, to sin, to... Um, tempting people towards pride, trying to bring division, to split churches up and get them to separate from each other, divide and conquer is a classic strategy of the enemy. You know, try, working to try and undermine what's going on. And, um, and, and Paul, um, the Apostle Paul, in his first letter to the Corinthians, his second letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 10, talks about this process, uh, this covert process. He says what Satan does is, is he builds ways of thinking in our minds called strongholds that are designed to stop us getting at the deeper things of God. Yeah? Now, I know, that, um, I, I know that Scott's going to talk a bit more about that, 
But I, before we finish today, I just want to talk a little bit about the overt thing. And the reason is this. Mainly, um, Satan works in a covert way in our society because it's a Christianized society. But what I've noticed over the years working with churches is this. When churches start to stretch out in mission, when everyday men and women like you guys start to say, yeah, we're not just Christians, we're missionaries, even in our hometown. When people start to step out in praying for the sick and asking God to speak to them and start to begin the early stages of the kind of battle, the perseverance battle that, that is part of pressing towards the supernatural ministry of Jesus, often what happens is that demons kind of get flushed out and what was covert begins to become a bit overt. It's a bit like, you know, when, you're, when people are hunting sometimes, they'll beat the bushes so that the birds come out so that then they can find the birds. We found that in our church, so we'd never experienced anything overt to do with the demonic. We were this Bible church, we're just doing our thing. But once we started praying for healing and stuff, weird stuff started happening. And uh, the first time it happened for me, I was part of a prayer team over on one side. People could go for prayer at the end of the service. And a woman had been really struggling with some stuff. And I was with a female member of the prayer team, and the two of us were praying for her together. And as I was praying for her, she just I felt there was something weird going on. She was moving in a weird way and slightly rolling her eyes. I thought, is she well, or is, this, is she mentally ill, or what's going on? And I was, in my mind, I was saying, Lord, what's going on here? And I just had a bad feeling. So I just prayed out loud. If there's anything here that's not from the Lord Jesus, I just command you to leave in the name of Jesus. It says that in the Bible, right, that we can say that. So I just prayed it. I just thought, let's pray that. Well, she sat bolt upright in my face and went, no, I will not. Well, I mean, I almost wet myself. Can you imagine? It's like, <laughs> uh, okay, so this stuff in the Bible is real. I didn't realize that. So I thought about what to do, and I did the most, you know, wise thing to do, which was call the senior pastor over and get him to sort it out. So, you know. But, but, uh, but a few years later, I had this problem, and the problem was this. He was going, he was moving to the States, and I was being asked to become the senior pastor. And I suddenly had this shock of revelation. I thought, I'm going to be the guy that people ask to come over and help. <laughs> I thought, oh no. So I thought, okay, so I started to pray. I said, God, I know that this says in the Bible that we have authority over demons. And um, you know I've prayed about that with people before, but it doesn't seem to be very effective. I need you to teach me. If I'm, people are going to be call me, calling me over, I need to teach how to understand this stuff. And, and really, when you operate in the supernatural things of God, whether it's this area or praying for healing or anything else, this is what I've noticed. You read what the Bible says. It says that you can. So you start trying to do it. And, and do you know what happens? It doesn't work. Have you noticed that? I'm just being honest with you. Yeah? It says if someone's sick, lay hands on them, pray for healing, they'll get healed. So you lay hands on them, you pray for healing, and they don't get healed. It's kind of tricky, isn't it? And then you think, well... I can't not believe the Bible because I'm a Christian, so now what? Yeah? Well, here's the thing. Jesus told us that that would happen. Jesus told us that that would happen. What do I mean? He told two parables, the persistent widow and the friend in the bread at midnight, and it specifically says he told them these parables so that they, when they prayed, they would persevere and not give up. Yes? Do you remember that? Well, why would you have to persevere if God just answered the prayer straight away? If you have to persevere, what does that mean? It means you're going to step out in faith and it's not going to seem to work to start with. And you, you're good because Jesus has already told you what to do. Keep going. Persevere. Find a rhythm you know that you can do and, and persevere. And I've seen that in my own life with praying for healing for people. When we first started praying for healing in our church, no one ever got healed. 
We prayed for healing. We had a healing service every evening from Monday through Friday, just for half an hour. We did it for two or three years. Still nobody got healed. After we'd been doing it for about six or seven years, we started seeing people healed quite often. Now, when I pray for people for healing, it's very rare for me to have a week where I don't see somebody get healed supernaturally at some point. It's not because I'm some super Christian. It's just because I've been involved in persevering for years. And it was the same was true for the demons. And what God did in answer to my prayer, help me God, was what, what we found was that as we prayed for people, basically, um, I was part of a prayer team and people could book in for like a, a one-hour prayer session um, where a couple of the prayer team would pray for them if they had issues that they weren't able to resolve. And as this happened, I just did this every week as part of my ministry in the church. And after I prayed that prayer, every single week when we're praying, a demon would manifest and show itself. I mean, I went from never, hardly ever experiencing this to it being something that was happening almost all the time. I mean, I remember the first person after I'd prayed that prayer was a woman, she'd been having murderous thoughts about her husband, and me and another woman from the prayer team were praying for her. And um, I just said, um, if, there's, if there's a demon of, if there's a spirit of murder here, I just command you to leave in the name of Jesus. Well, the woman went absolutely crazy. This is a godly woman, mature woman in the church. She started punching, kicking. I mean, I was like, I don't, what do you do now? I mean, you know. And um, what we, we learned a few things during that time, persevering. Uh, we learned what you don't do. What you don't do is get into conversations with a demon. Um, you don't start going weird and shouting at people. You, you try and dial it down rather than hype it up. Yeah? You, don't, um, you, make, you remember that there's a person involved here, and so you're very respectful and kind to them. And if you're going to command the demon to do something, um, you're thinking, does this person even know this stuff? I mean, I've, I've learned that you can deliver people from demonic oppression without even mentioning the word demon sometimes. Sometimes I'll just say, I don't know the person very well. They've asked for prayer. They've got fear. I just said that there's something demonic going on. It feels like there might be. I'll just tell the fear to go. You know, we don't have to hype this up and make it all crazy and weird, yeah? But, it, but, but the other thing I learned is it is actually a fundamental part of the ministry of a Christian. And that shouldn't surprise us because it's what the Bible says. And um, over that time... We prayed, and what I found was that it wasn't very effective. I'd say, I'd say to the person, say if it was a mature Christian who understood these things, I'd say, you know, I think there may be some spiritual oppression going on here. I feel like I need to just speak to it and tell it to leave. Would that be okay with you? And they'd say, sure. So I'd say, you know, whatever, you demon of anger, I command you to leave in the name of Jesus. And often the person would then respond, maybe not with speaking, but they might go, I said, oh, did you just shake your head? And they'd be like, no, I don't know why I did that. I thought, I know why, yeah? And it's this picture, demons can't own people, especially not Christians. They can't, I, I think the word possession has been a very unhelpful word over the years, but they can kind of, I think, I don't know how you say it, but they seem to kind of latch on and start to, to, to kind of um, oppress people and try and, you know, make life difficult for you. And um, we have the authority to tell them to go away. And um, so I'd say, go in the name of Jesus, and I'd go like that, and I'd say, go in the name of Jesus, and I'd go like that go backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards. And we just persevered, really, especially if the person was somebody who was up for it. We didn't impose this on people who weren't ready. And, um, and eventually, the person would suddenly feel some freedom, and we'd know that we'd had some breakthrough. And this went on for a, a number of months, but it was frustrating because it didn't look like the ministry of Jesus to me. Jesus just told them to go, and they went, didn't he? And, um, and one day, you know, I was persevering in this, and one day there was a woman who was... Um, who was uh, uh, the wife of a member of staff, a mature Christian woman, 
And she'd asked us to pray for her because she had pronounced fear that kept man she kept getting panic attacks and things, and she didn't know where it was coming from. So we went to pray for her, and we were on a, in a church hall with a wooden floor with a plastic, with plastic chair she's sitting on. And I said, can we just put our hands on her shoulder and pray for you? She, says, she said, sure. Went to put our hand on her shoulder, and when we did, she pushed her chair away. And I was like, oh, you pushed your chair away? She said, yeah, I don't know why I did that. You know, it doesn't take great discernment to work out that there's something demonic going on sometimes. So I just went to pray for her again. She pushed her chair away again. I mean, we're following her around the room, you know. <laughs> so in the, end, in the end, we said, look, put your chair against the wall and let's, let's deal with this thing, whatever it is. She said, yeah, I just want to get rid of this fear. So, so I said, I think it probably is something, you know, an unclean spirit of some kind. I don't know why it's doing this to you, but let's just tell it to go. So I said, you spirit of fear, in the name of Jesus, I command you to leave. And, you know, it was the same thing that happened so many times. She went. And my heart sank. I thought, here we go again. How long are we going to be standing here doing this now? You know. And in that contest, this was about six months in to praying and trying to get breakthrough in this area. Um, suddenly, just in a split second in my mind, I had a, an image that I think the Lord gave me. And I saw myself shining golden with light, wearing the armor of God, with Jesus standing next to me and all of the resources of heaven behind me. And suddenly I knew, it went from head to heart, suddenly I knew demons cannot say no to a spirit-filled Christian. And it was such a powerful revelation, I actually laughed out loud, briefly. <laughs> they were like, what's happened to Paul? <laughs> I said, I'm sorry, but God's just showed me something. So I said, you demon of fear, I command you to leave in the name of Jesus. And she went, and I went, what a load of rubbish. I don't believe you. You can't say no because I'm speaking in the authority of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that the demons had to leave. I pray, Holy Spirit, you come and fill her afresh now. She gave a little shriek, and she never, ever, this was 15 years ago, she never, ever experienced that fear again. Isn't that interesting? Yeah? So just on the, on the last slide there. So this is what I just want to say to you guys as we, as we finish for today. Um, you're on a journey, an exciting journey, where you're learning to be missionaries and you're learning to copy Jesus in all of the different areas, not just natural, but supernatural. As you do that, some of the things that are hidden may begin to be revealed. And I feel that the Lord wants me to just say to you, don't be scared, don't be worried about it. Be prepared to persevere in faith and pray because what's going on is that things that are hidden will begin to get flushed out as you press forward. And by the way, after we had a little time like that in our church, we then went through many years where we hardly ever encountered demons in that way again. It was almost like, now that we know how to deal with them, they seem to avoid us. Funny thing that, isn't it? And so, this, it's not like this is going to be an everyday experience for many of you in here, but I feel like it's just a time of equipping so that when that stuff does happen, you're not feeling intimidated. The enemy wants us to feel fear instead of faith, doesn't he? But instead, we can be confident. We're adopted children of God. We own all of the breakthrough of the ministry of Jesus. We have to persevere in faith to occupy what we already own, just like the people of Israel had to fight to occupy the promised land that God had already given them. That's the life that we're in. There's a perseverance that we have to do. The enemy will try to stop you doing it through discouragement, accusation, and attack. But he who's in us is stronger than him who's in the world. And as you step forward, you're going to see an increasing level of power in the ministry that God calls you to. And we're called to be confident in him and live by faith and not by fear. Let's stand together, shall we? I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to just ask anybody, I'm going to, I'm going to do a little call um, just for a response, and if that's you, um, I've, I've run over a little bit, so don't, um, don't waste time. If it's you, then um, come straight forward. We can just come to the front, and we're just going to pray for you.
So let's pray together. Lord, we just thank you that you've adopted us as your children, that you've put your Holy Spirit within us, and thank you that you've called us to follow Jesus into the natural and the supernatural things of his ministry. And um, it's scary, Lord, and it's new to most of us, but um, we want to follow anywhere that you lead. And I pray that you would continue to release more supernatural healing in this church. And as we begin to press forward, Lord, uh, I, I rec we just recognize that there may be some demonic encounters along the way, just like there were in the Gospels. I just pray for each person here, Lord, that if that, if that happens, that they'd be able to keep their eyes fixed on you, not worry, over, not worry overly much about it, but instead be confident in what the Bible says and confident to persevere, to step out and to speak with the authority of Jesus who saved each person who said yes to him. So we pray for boldness. We pray that we would step forward and, and take hold of that which you've taken hold of us, Lord, as we operate as spiritual warriors bringing your kingdom. Amen. And as we stand now, I'd like to just pray for two groups of people. One would be, as I'm speaking, your heart has been responding and you know that God is calling you to step into a greater level of spiritual authority so that you're beginning to grow in confidence in the supernatural things as well as the natural things. If that's you, I'd like to pray for you this morning. Just come straight down the front and, um, and don't waste time. The brave ones who come first, then that allows the other slightly more nervous ones to come. So well done. And also, as they're coming, you might also feel, well, actually, I think the enemy has been oppressing me, and I want freedom. And I'm, gonna, I'm just coming forward today to say, I, I, I want you to set me free, God, and I'm going to stand in that. I'm going to get people to pray for me, and I want that freedom. So that both groups of people together, let's just come up. We're going to pray for you. And if you're, um, if you're too nervous to come up, but you know that this, one of those things is for you, you can, while you're standing, maybe you just want to raise your hands or something and say, yeah, this is for me too, God. The rest of us, can we just stretch out hands towards these guys because we're going to just pray for them. Um, there's just a sign. We're just stretching out hands as a sign that we're praying for them. Let's, so let's pray together. Lord, I just want to thank you for these brave warriors, spiritual warriors who've stepped up here. And first I want to pray for those who know that the enemy has been oppressing them, has been attacking them, they've been facing uh, opposition and difficulty. And we pray, Lord, that you break that yoke off their shoulders. We just come in the mighty name of Jesus, and I just speak to any demonic presence that has been causing those problems in the lives of people, and we command you to leave in the name of Jesus. And instead, we pray, Lord, there'll be a new level of peace and joy and life. And if that's you, just know the Lord um, is walking amongst us because we're two or more gathered in his name. He said he'll always be here. And perhaps use your imagination just to recognize that he's, it's as if he's standing in front of you and ministering to you right now because the Holy Spirit is ministering to you. And we pray, Lord, that you give a new level of freedom and wholeness and a new level of confidence to talk to other Christians about this and receive prayer if needed. And then we also pray for our brothers and sisters who are here because they know that God is calling them to step up spiritually, Lord. And I just pray that there'd be a new anointing. I pray, Holy Spirit, you come in a fresh way on each person who's standing here. Thank you. It says in Ephesians that we're to go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. So we pray there'd be a fresh filling, Lord, a fresh level of anointing. I pray, Lord, that they, you'd open their ears to hear you more clearly and you'd open their mouths to speak in faith what you call them to speak. And we pray that you'd give them breakthrough, Lord, and we pray that they would trample on the snakes and the scorpions of the spiritual realm. We pray that you'd give them breakthrough to set people free and to push back the forces of darkness. And we pray that you'd give them a new level of confidence. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus.